So this morning I want to talk about the theme of transforming judgments. And this was uh, a talk which I'm giving by um, popular request from when a few weeks ago when I asked for a list of topics that people were interested in. And it's, it's surely on the top five list of themes that are asked for over and over again in these settings because it's so central to our practice and our daily life. I mean, I would say the other maybe top five are um, anger, um, bringing our practice into uh, intimate relationships, um, Those are, some, those are some of the biggies, you know. And what I, what I want to do is having the last two weeks given, as it were, kind of a wider framework for our practice, talking about the Eightfold Path and then talking last time about the Middle Way. I want to, this week and next week, uh, focus on some of the nitty-gritty of our practice, which is very evident and manifest in, in daily life. And this week, talk about working with judgments. And next week, talk about working with speech which often involves a lot of judgments. <laughs> and, and, so, and to have it be uh, very practical, the, ver- the way that our practice um, really can be worked with, in not, not only in retreats, but also right in the midst of our, of our daily lives. So maybe, maybe first of all, I'd like you just to have some quiet reflections right now. And I want to invite you to ask yourself, what judgments are prominent in your life? And by judgments, I'm meaning especially the kind of um, statements which we make either about ourselves or about others, uh, particularly ones that uh, are negative, you know, although we can also talk about positive judgments, but I'm particularly talking about the kind of negative judgments that we make, which usually have both some um, sort of cognitive material, some observation of some sort, but then some some very strong um, evaluation that's that's often um, quite harsh. And I'd like you to just reflect on yourself, and this is just for yourself, What, what judgments are strong in your experience? And I want to begin by mentioning a few of my own judgments that I find and invite a few from you um, as, as a way of starting this kind of inquiry into, what, into um, working with judgments. And so I'll give a few uh, vignettes, um, some minor judgments and some major judgments and some collective judgments. So first of all, minor judgments. You know, okay, I'm, I'm kind of, um, I'm in a hurry I'm driving, and I come to the toll area, and I choose the line 
which takes the longest to get through. Judgment arises. You should have chosen another line. Okay. Perhaps a minor judgment. Okay. A major, a more major judgment. Uh, several years ago, I ended a period of um, teaching full-time at a graduate school. I had taught full-time for nine years, and I entered into a year of um, being on leave. And during that time, I was uh, on retreat quite a, quite a lot of that time. And I noticed as I was um, beginning that retreat, there were a lot of uh, judgments which were surfacing, which were somewhat harsh, that I shouldn't have spent all these nine years. I should have been meditating more. You know, that I was spiritually somewhat uh, blowing it. And they're were, they were quite, quite, um, quite harsh voices, you know, about my, my very life. A second kind of uh, the, uh, strong judgment, one that you can tell is connected with a certain amount of suffering. You know, quite a lot of suffering, actually. And a third kind of judgment... Uh, about ten days ago, I was uh, leading a retreat related to uh, socially engaged Buddhism, and I think I think at one point we were looking into the question of um, how we make enemies and how we have people that we think are our opponents or enemies, and there were a lot of negative judgments about uh, George Bush and John Ashcroft. Dick Cheney also, I think. (laughs) And I noticed that people were kind of joining in, and sometimes it felt as if their Buddhist practice was going out the window. (laughs) There was just this energy of wanting to uh, be critical and be judgmental. That was was happening in in that kind of circumstance. And so those those are a few examples. And maybe I I think I'd like to invite maybe... Just a few from people here. If you want to, you know, if you'd like to name a judgment which is there in your life, either you know, either minor or major. Would anyone like to mention one? A lot. <laughs> Please. <yeah. laughs> Here's a major one. Okay. I've not lived up to my potential. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Erin. I'm too old to do anything about it. <laughs> Please, yeah. For me, um, a whole range of shoulds. Mm-hmm. Should, should, and also, uh, often with regards to kind of fixing it, either for me or for other people, like mm-hmm. he or she would do this, or the, he or she should do this, or mm-hmm. I should, in order to like make things better and fix things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Please. Well, now I feel bad about being so judgmental about the Bush administration. <laughs> You're judgmental towards yourself for being judgmental. Yes. Right. Okay. It does have that circle effect. Yeah. Please. Oh, not enough, not enough, not doing enough, not being enough, just not enough. <laughs> Never enough. Mm-hmm. Please. Mm-hmm. 
and you're judgmental of, is it of yourself or others or, you know, yeah, who, who, who may not be physically as, uh, in, as physically well off or. Physical health, yeah, yeah. So sometimes, sometimes if we're not doing so well physically, being judgmental towards ourselves or, or well, that you can yeah. be healthy mentally even when you're struggling with physical well. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You one or two more, please. Um, my um, secretary does her work very slowly, and she can put off today what she can do tomorrow, and it irritates me beyond pale because I can do her fast and I can't figure out because she um, and I judge her that she wants to do it slow because she's taking advantage of the system because she's in a lesser role and I judge her yeah. very strongly yeah thank you thank you have you lost one but you <laughs> I, I judge people when I feel judged by them yeah so Judging that happens in reaction to being judged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I want to I want to talk about three aspects of transforming judgment, and then and then open it up. And uh, I think this is something we all know well. So I think we could could explore some together. And the three aspects are why judgments are important to work with, and why they're important in our lives. Secondly, what judgments are. And thirdly, some practical ways to work with judgments. So that's what I want to, that's what I want to cover. You know, it's the, the energy of judgments is so strong in our lives. You know, I know in, in terms of our relationships, in terms of our well-being... It's, I've been noticing the last few weeks that just how in relationships, if there's a hint of judgment quite often, there's just with another person, there's just a kind of pulling back defensiveness and something just in the relationship often just shifts radically. When people feel the slightest bit judged, many people just are extremely sensitive to that. You know, and and we, may, we may be the same way. And... First of all, I think it's important to see that there's something about judging and being judged which actually is very large in our culture and maybe larger in our culture than in other cultures. So I think that's, that's good, to, good to see, that we, we live in a, um, a culture in which there's, a, there's quite a lot of blaming and judging. And it's, it's very strong in our lives. Um, some of you may know there was a story um, of the Dalai Lama a little over 20 years ago. He came to the Insight Meditation Society uh, and was answering questions from people. And someone said, I don't think I'm any good. What should I do? And at that time, um, the Dalai Lama didn't quite get the question. He's pretty good at English, as you know. But he, he kept going back and forth with the translator. You know, what does he mean? You know, what's, what's going on? And finally he came out and said, we don't seem to have this so much in our culture. 
this kind of being judgmental. And otherwise, I would say, it's a mistake. You're good. <laughs> um, I don't think he said get over it. But, <laughs> but uh, he, more, he more or less said that you're really actually worthy and there's some deep misunderstanding here uh, about your, your very being. But it, it points to some of the ways that it may be very, very strong in our culture. And I think that's not simply negative. It may be tied to greater levels of individuation, you know, the high levels of individualism in our culture, which come with positives as well as negatives. So judgments may be some of the territory that we have in being part of this culture, and not necessarily just something to say, this culture, you know, just to be judgmental about the culture and say this culture is just lousy. I think it's part of the territory which involves some positives as well as negatives. But it's very, very, it's very, very, very strong. Um, and many of us were conditioned very strongly to be quite judgmental towards ourselves and others. And there was um, one of the, one of the, um, there's a cartoon which I remember which really illustrates the way that often we're, we're judgmental to the point of actually suffering her being way out of balance. And it's a cartoon which actually uh, shows an epitaph, a, little, a gravestone near a highway. And on the gravestone it says, he had the right of way. <laughs> and I think, it, I think it more or less points to some of the ways that we actually, that the judgments... Um, so preoccupy us that we get out of balance, that we're not really wise in our, in our use of judgments. Um, we're judgmental in part because the culture is, has a lot of blaming and judging and in many ways is very adversarial. And, you know, if you think of our, our institutions of law or our institutions of education even, you know, think of the high level of comparing and judging, and surely it's uh, other modes of education are different. But again, it's, it's, a, it's a mix. I don't think it's entirely a negative. And when we come to our, our spiritual practices, it's no coincidence that there's often a lot of judging, that we have images of ourselves uh, as good or bad, just like in my story of myself, of doing well spiritually, not doing well spiritually, it's um, particularly ironic to have a lot of self-judgments in a practice which often focuses on not-self, but that's another matter. <laughs> you know, it often gets, um, it often can actually be somewhat humorous, and it, there, there's like, there's a, there's a story from the Jewish tradition which, which um, I think illustrates this, which is it, um, one day um, the rabbi was feeling very, religiously motivated and he went down in the synagogue and he got down on his knees and started shouting out, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. And then the cantor was also similarly moved. He got down on his knees and started shouting, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. And then the custodian was very inspired and got down on his knees and started saying, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. And the rabbi turned to the cantor and says, look who thinks he's nobody. And there's, there's that kind of irony that, I, I mean, if we, if, we do, if we do this practice, we will find ourselves in those kind of um, interesting ironies. I mean, I can remember 
times when, you know, I could note in myself the arising of self-image in arising to having a very silent mind, you know, or, you know, I'm so good, nothing is happening, <laughs> you know, or, do you, do you know, there's, there's a kind of irony and paradox that as we, as we go deeper uh, we, and we still have some self-image, we can, you know, oh, I'm the, I'm the great self who has no self, you know, and I know I was, I was sitting uh, a few years ago and watching that, and at one point I just had to laugh. That was so, it was hilarious, you know. I was, um, I think I was giving instru- instructions for a, for a 10-day retreat. Uh, I was working with Christopher Titmus, and he gave me the instructions for these 10 days, don't do anything. And at a certain point, I, w- I was doing very little, and I was, at a certain point, I noticed a thought, I'm so, I'm so good, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> You know, and there was just there was just something that was had to be hilarious about the the notion of um, taking credit for nothing. <laughs> and I think if you I think if you look carefully at your own minds, you'll see that that the judgments are are very very prevalent. And it's also, I think, in many spiritual traditions, working with judgments is taken to be crucial. You you probably can remember the passages of Jesus where he says, um, judge not lest ye be judged. And in that same passage he goes on to say, let, let, let the person without sin cast the first stone. And it's really pointing to that quality of judgment as being a central um, part of our conditioning that we need to work with, a really a, a central part in our practice. And in Buddhist practice, I think the I think judgments particularly uh, come up when we are um, looking at the notion of self, and also looking at the notion of of our views. That when that when we look to our uh, when we start seeing more carefully the sense of self and the sense of self-image, that's when we start to really do a lot of work with our judgments. With our, with our comparisons, with our put-downs of ourself, with our negative comments toward, towards others. And the, the aspiration of Buddhist practice is to really transform that energy of judgment. And it's to move towards an ability to have the judgments transform so much that I, I'm, I'm going a little bit ahead of myself, but that we take the intelligence of judgments, the, the ability to actually see something clearly, which is coupled with this uh, negative evaluation in the case of harsh or negative judgments. And we learn in our practice how to separate the observation or the intelligence from the harshness. So, for example, I might be uh, looking at someone and, and noticing that the person is acting... Uh, in what could be called rudely. Now, there's an observation which could be valuable. If I'm really judgmental, I will say, look how rude that person is, and I will go off and, and it will, I will be, have a very a harshness towards that person. Now, the direction of the practice is to be able to see the actual uh, facts, as it were, of what's happening, to see the qualities of rudeness, but to take to, to really transform the negative uh, evaluation or the evaluative component 
so that we're no longer separating ourselves and basically saying, I'm good and that person's bad, but we have the intelligence without the harshness. We had, in other words, that we preserve the intelligence and so I can act in relation to that person who's rude. I can see that. It's not to get rid of all the intelligence with judgments, but to actually see what's happening and to be able to act more out of compassion. That's the, that's the transformative work that we, that we do when we work with judgments. And I'll just read one passage from, from the Buddha in which he talks about the transformation of the very categories that we, that we work with uh, when, we, when we judge. One who thinks oneself equal to others or superior or inferior for that very reason disputes. But one who is unmoved under those three conditions, for that person the notions equal, superior, and inferior do not exist. The sage for whom the notions equal and unequal do not exist, would that person say, this is true? With whom, with whom should he dispute, saying this is false? With whom would this person enter into dispute? One who is free from views, there are no follies. But those, those who grasp after views and judgments, they wander around in the world annoying people. <laughs> so the second, the second part I want to uh, explore is really to ask, what are judgments? What's, the, what's their nature? And what do we find when we look a little more deeply? Um, and I want, to, I want to do this very much in relationship to my own practice with judgments and my own, my own experiences. So, and in, in doing so, I'll, I'll suggest some, in, in talking about this, suggest some of the ways that we can practice with judgments. Although I'll come back uh, at the end to actually talk about those practices more systematically. So in my own experience, uh, I first began doing meditation practice and primarily working with judgments through noticing them, through being mindful, through being uh, aware of judgments where they came up and using labels and noting. You know, I would say personally that I um, was conditioned to be a fairly judgmental person. I may share this with some of you. <laughs> I don't know if meditation halls attract more judgmental people. We, we've never taken surveys. <laughs> But uh, for myself, I would say that there, you know, that there was a way that I think I was conditioned to be pretty judgmental, which in many ways was to um, think of myself as good and right and to have some vested interest, I think, in others being not so good and not so right. So that if... Um, I think, I think in my own self-development, there was a way that I could be judgmental as a way of uh, having some sense of enhanced self and some sense of well-being and, and a sense of being good. You know, that, that this seemed to be connected with other people not being so good. And as I, as I practiced, I first really be, been, became able to uh, notice uh, how many judgments there were. And um, this is sometimes embarrassing. This is sometimes actually disconcerting. And one of the dangers of judgment practice 
is that we can be very judgmental about how many judgments there are, as, as you were suggesting. And we have to watch out for that. So that when we're judgmental about how many judgments we, we, uh, there are, we just note judgment and we don't, we don't continue. But So the first practices that I did for many years was primarily just to see judgments, to notice them, and to let them go. And I think there was some way that I gradually uh, had them have less power. As I began to notice them more, it was very, very helpful for actually seeing the range of judgments and, and, and letting go of some of them to some extent, not needing to, not needing to judge quite so much. I also found that the practice of, uh, of metta was very important, the practice of loving-kindness, that there was a way in which when we note judgments, we're sort of approaching judgments very directly, and some of the grounds of um, judgment may be in a lack of self-love or a lack of uh, really feeling okay just in one's being. And when we do the metta practice, we, we work with that. We develop the practices that really help us to just feel somehow uh, okay in ourselves, which we know, again, in our culture is, is not so common. But I think the, the, the place where I really f- uh, learned the most about judgments was uh, about, uh, about four years ago. I did a long retreat. I started a long retreat, and I was working with uh, John Travis particularly, and we... And this was, this was the retreat in which I noticed that I was being harsh towards myself about what I had been doing for the last years and that I was judging myself harshly sort of on spiritual grounds. And with John, we worked out a, a kind of practice which was really began about a nine-month very intensive examination of judgments. And a lot of what I uh, understand about judgments came out of that period of working with judgments. And he, he gave me the practice of after every sitting be aware of the judgments that have been around the last 24 hours and be, be aware you can almost call them he invited me to take 10 or 15 minutes at the end of every sitting and call forth the, the judgments which had been around you know, which could have been a judgment about during the retreat that wasn't a very good Dharma talk you know <laughs> Or, you know, I hope the kitchen gets its act together. Or, or, you know, this person is coming late into the hall for the 18th time, you know, and I might be judgmental about that, you know, or, or, or I'm not sitting very well, or whatever. And I would just be invited to call, bring those to presence. And also, in the beginning, also, I worked with uh, judgments that were there from before the retreat, you know, judgments about, oh, I've... Uh, not use my time wisely, you know, in the last years. I should have been doing this. Or judgments about my, uh, the school with which I was connected. They're not spiritually evolved enough, or whatever, you know. And I would invite those judgments to be present in, the, in that 10 or 15 minute period after every sitting. And I would let the, for me, as for many of you, judgments come first in a kind of uh, more mental way. They come as thoughts and ideas. And I would, I would let those, those ideas and thoughts be present. And at a certain point, when they had played themselves out a little bit, or when one judgment had played itself out, the instructions were then, 
go to the level of the body and the heart and see what's there. See what's there with the judgment. See what's present. We sometimes call this the technique of dropping down, of going from the mental level to the body level and the emotional level, the heart level. And, and so I would drop down and see, not try to figure something out, not try to make anything happen, but just listen for what was present in the heart, connected with a certain judgment. And so what I found was that I did this um, over and over again, and it took a certain amount of mindfulness and concentration to do the, the work of dropping down. That, that, that's not always readily available, just in, just in daily life. <clears throat> and so I did that practice in the two months probably a thousand times. You know? And then also I was invited, when a judgment arises just in the moment, do the same practice with, with that judgment. Be aware of it, the thought, and then go and see if what you can find in the heart. And so, and after that two months, I then kept the practice going, I think about another six or seven months, sometimes in retreat, sometimes in daily life. And so, um, but I think I was already finding, after probably doing this about a month, I was already finding, I was making some findings that I didn't know so clearly before about what judgments are. And, what, and I want to just uh, report those in terms of um, um, clarifying the nature of judgments. What I found was that judgments did have this sort of dual quality. They had a cognitive component that often presented some idea, some observation, you know, like you noticing something. My, my secretary, was it the secretary? Works slowly. That's an observation, right? If that was all there was to judgments, there wouldn't be a problem. But there's something... There's some very strong evaluation. I like to call it the emotional sledgehammer. So <clears throat> one definition of judgments are, at least of negative judgments, are observations coupled with emotional sledgehammer. Uh, and, there, and both were there. And what I, So that was a, one of the first things I found, that there was this dual nature to judgments. When I kept on going to the level of the heart, I found something that I didn't know so clearly at the time, which was that virtually always, when the, when the thoughts settled down a little bit, and when I listened to the heart, there was some pain connected with the judgment. That when I was going to the, when I looked at maybe the self-judgments about what I had done with my time, I would, when I went to the heart, I would notice that there was some kind of pain of my own there that was, um, could be sadness, you know, it could be some kind of grief in that case, and that virtually always when I looked at the judgment and went to that, as it were, the deeper level, I found that there was some kind of pain there. It was a pain that I wasn't that aware of. Even when I would wait on the retreat food line and they would be serving tacos and they would have their condiments arranged so that it took a long time to go through the line. Like there'd be, there'd be you know, 10 or 15 condiments, and you'd have 80 people each making their choice between 10 or 15 condiments, and it would take half an hour to go through the line, and I would uh, you know, maybe be near the end. <laughs> and I would, I would have a judgment. They should sort the condiments so it doesn't take so long, Right? And I would, okay, judgment practice time. And I would, um, I would look there, and there was some pain with that one too. There was a pain of impatience or irritation 
or something like that. What I came to find in looking at judgments probably thousands of times, and I have to say this is one of the glories of retreat practice, that in retreats we can actually look at some part of our experience, like judgments or like anger or like fear or joy or love, and we can look at it with this kind of study and depth. You know, and many of you probably have done that, not always by choice, in, in retreats. I know I have. I've had fear retreats. I've had anger retreats where this was almost there all the time for 10 days or whatever, two weeks or whatever. And one of the beauties of this practice is that we can look so closely at something and there ne- these qualities like judgment or anger or fear are never the same. They're never the same after you've looked at them so closely. <coughs> and for me, it was that way with judgments, that I would, I would look at the judgments. I would notice invariably that there was pain, and I began to see that judgments in themselves were a kind of cover for my pain. They were a way that I probably had learned at a very young age not to have to feel some kind of pain. And they actually were a way that I could uh, make a judgment, not feel the pain, and actually feel superior. Very convenient, very ingenious, right? That it seems to be a way that our mind works, which we learn very, very young, perhaps understandably, because there's some pain that's too hard to deal with at the time, that we actually cover over the pain and our judgments, where there's that emotional reactivity, comes from some unconscious inability to acknowledge the pain. What I also found when I did the practice, not only seeing that, but I also felt that uh, as I stayed with the pain, as I stayed with that sadness or even the irritation on the food line, the judgment seemed to be transformed. That when I could actually be with the pain and acknowledge the pain the judgment seemed to dry up. In other words, they seemed to be a kind of defense mechanism against actually feeling the pain. They, they're an unconscious, largely unconscious defense mechanism, but that when we actually can be with that pain, the, the judgments um, ended. And I, I thought I would read a poem that I wrote during this time. It was near, I think this was a time when I was starting really to see through the judgments. And this was... This was, a judge, this was a poem that I wrote uh, right in, you know, I don't know if we're supposed to re- write poems during retreats, but I did. <laughs> anyway, this is, a po- this is a poem I wrote. And it was, it's actually related to your point, Rose. Um, it, it's called 5 a.m. wake-up call. And it's a, it's, for me, it was about thinking I really had kind of blown it and I should have been more spiritual earlier. You know, and it's too late now. Okay. And so here's the 5 a.m. wake-up call. Sometimes I think I'm waking up too late. I have practiced the Dharma for 24 years. People my age and younger have had their openings and are now respected teachers whom I find now teaching me. My hair is beginning to turn gray, my belly moving slowly sideways some. Some of you know that one. At times I feel sad about the years spent scared and constricted. But what does the soft fog of the late night sky really care about all that when it's met in the great space of the present? What is important for my friend who despairs when she is 
heard and held. I wake up with a story behind me that is my own and that still echoes in my body and heart. Yet my lamentation, I wake too late, echoes now not as reproach, but as compassion, quivering in the stillness of the new morning. So I think that, I think that shows, for me, that shows some of the work that, that, that had been done, and it's really ongoing work. Um, and I think through that practice, one of the benefits of the practice was that in tuning into that level of pain when there are judgments, and it's not so easy to do that, in tuning into that level of pain, I much more easily could tune into a level of pain when I heard others judging. And when I heard, when I felt myself being judged, I tended, especially when I was doing this practice a lot, to actually be able to tune into their pain and not be, as it were, hooked by the judgment. Not have that reactivity set in motion. And for some time, I longed to be around judgmental people. <laughs> it's tempered a bit since then. <laughs> but, but there actually was a time when there was something that, I, and even now, you know, have, again, it's the, the glory of this practice. Having done that work, judgmental people are never the same because one, one knows some, some of the depths of where the judgment comes from. So maybe to summarize then, uh, and the last part uh, briefly, to summarize several practices to work with judgments. And this will somewhat be a, a recapitulation of some of the territory I just covered. Uh, and if you'd like to do some of these practices or one of the practices in the next week, that could be the at-home work of the next week, and it will tie into the, the theme for next time. So a first, uh, I'll mention five practices, and you can see which of these call to you. The first practice is doing something like what we did right at the beginning, which is sort of taking an inventory of one's own judgments. It's actually being familiar. And there's, um, some of you know this wonderful book that just came out by Tara Brock called Radical Acceptance, which is available in the bookstore. And, and there's also a book by Byron Brown called Soul Without Shame, which is also a good book on judgments. And there's, and there's an exercise in this book near the beginning which, which uh, is about, uh, gives some very cogent questions to help us actually get a map of where, where we're judgmental. So that's the first exercise, is to actually spend some time uh, charting where our judgments are. You know, what are they about? And there'd actually, uh, we can actually have a fairly extensive map, because we're probably, you know, we're, <laughs> we, we may tend to be judgmental about our body, our mind, all the parts of ourselves, and then probably all the parts of others, not to mention the society. And and so it's, the first step might be to take an inventory of where one's judgmental. A second, a second practice would be, and these are somewhat in an order of um, depth, so I think the, the latter ones, I think, would have the earlier ones as prerequisites, so to speak. The second practice would be the mindfulness practice, would be the practices of noting where there's judgment in the spirit of the mindfulness practice, which is to note... Uh, as much as possible in a soft, gentle way, and be careful if one is noting judgments in a judgmental manner. 
you know, there's another judgment, Donald. You know, that's to let, to say, okay, another judgment. You know, it, it gets tricky, right? But to just notice where we're judging, and you can even notice the variety of, of judgments there. And that's the second very vital practice. And for many of us, that may be our main practice. And it's a powerful practice just to start to know what's there. It, again, the warning is that can be somewhat sobering. So be careful about being judgmental about judgments. And again, just say that's another judgment and move on. A third practice is uh, the metta practice. It's the practice of loving kindness. That We could say that the practices I've mostly mentioned, other than the metta, are, are wisdom practices. They're practices by which we see clearly what's happening. And the metta practice is more of a compassion practice, as I was saying. It's a practice that can actually go to some of the roots of the judgments, but not actually look at the judgments directly. But when we do loving-kindness practice, it's actually also a purification practice. We may say, may I be happy, and we may actually feel right there the resistance to really thinking that we're deserving of happiness. We can actually feel that very, very directly. And so when we do the metta, even though it's a sort of an indirect approach, the antidote, as it were, to judgments, we can actually feel it as a purification uh, process. And the book that would be very helpful for that is the book by Sharon Salzberg uh, on loving kindness. So, so I've named three books which I think are, are very good books to, if you want to work further with judgments. And the, the fourth practice is this practice of dropping down. We could call it a practice of inquiry. And you may want to experiment with that very practice that I worked with for those, those months, which is Take five or ten minutes, preferably at the end of a sitting because it demands some mindfulness, and actually invite the judgments which have been around for a while just to be there and let them do their thing in terms of the, um, the way they come more verbally and then see if you can just listen to the heart. That's an inquiry practice. It takes a certain amount of concentration. It's not about figuring out. It's not about analyzing or thinking. It's really about listening at the level of the heart. But that's, that's a, a practice which is very powerful, and you can come to do that not just in your formal practice, but you can actually do it right in the midst of action. If you, once you get good at that practice, you can actually, there's been a moment where you just get into a judgmental funk, and you can just go to the heart right at that moment and just be there. Some, you can do this practice in five minutes and sometimes clear away a judgment that would be there for three hours or three days otherwise. And so... That, 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 but it's a practice that you, we have to practice by in the sort of, as it were, the safety and the protectiveness of the sitting and to be present with that, be present with the judgments. And you can do it for 10 minutes at a time, like as, as I did it. And just do that after every sitting. And you'll notice that, and if you can do it more often, it'll move everything more quickly. And the fifth and last practice, which I want to mention, is not an individual practice. So, so much, but it's actually to help transform the culture which is so judgmental. Because a lot of the reasons we're judgmental is not just because we got it wrong, but because it's strong conditioning in the culture. So this would mean working in your family, in your community, perhaps in your work, to bring about a less judgmental culture. Now, what would it be like if we had educational systems which were less judgmental? in the way, or a legal system which was less adversarial. 
And so some of you may feel also called as part of your judgment practice to actually act for the larger culture and in that way give a gift to everyone. So I hope that these practices resonate and if you I, I would love it if we if you if some of you took one of these practices and did it a lot in the next week and came back and reported. So I will I will end here and open it up to um, our further exploration together. Thank you. Thank you. Well, as I said, the, the dropping to the heart takes a certain quietness of mind. And so there, there are these other practices. Sometimes that will be accessible and sometimes it won't. If it's not accessible, don't, don't force it. Um, the mindfulness practice with judgments, if, basically if the mind's really active, just stay at the mindfulness, with the mindfulness practice. But then you can sometimes just invite the, invite the listening at the heart. But if you find the mind just active or trying to figure it out, that's, it's not going to work so well at that point. So I think I would go back and uh, don't think that you're doing uh, you know, a lesser practice to, to work with the mindfulness. And um, again, this, that's why I think it works best to do that kind of practice at the end of a sitting when, when the mind's a little quieter. It takes some stillness to listen to the heart. I think, I think many of us know that. Does that help some? Okay, thanks. Yeah. And it could also maybe to be with the body. Did everyone hear that using feeling words that would mean like saying, for example? Um, I start a sentence with the words I feel and then I, I feel yeah. with um, some emotion-related word. Yeah. Um, pain is one of them. Um, discomfort, mm-hmm. um, sadness, mm-hmm. um, stretched. Like so it might be to say I feel a, a, a part of, I don't think I explicitly mentioned this, but in the practice I was doing was actually to bring the attention right to the heart area, which is another, another tool. And I, it's very important to listen and, and not to force, you know, not to think this is what I have to find. That, that would not be doing it uh, justice. It's really to not predict what you're going to find because that's not really the practice, but it's really to listen very openly. But that, that's very helpful. That's kind of like to say I feel is a little bit like bringing the attention to the heart area. Yeah. Please. Well, you're le- actually... Um, your feelings are there. You feel all that stuff. You go back, it's that ch- whatever that pain is, right? Mm-hmm. You're left with uh, compassion. For what? For oneself and others. Yeah, well, that's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got it for others. It's the self part. That's yeah. the fair part. That's the hard part. Yeah, yeah. I'm only dead for a week, so I mean, I've got a whole life to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, it's hard. It's, it's, this is hard practice. And, and I also want to suggest that there are a lot of other tools for working with judgment that I have not mentioned. You know, for example, um, um, psychological work helps to uncover a lot of the territory here. So I, I didn't talk about, uh, for example, working. Some, some of this territory can very skillfully be worked through in therapy. The shrink suggested I do this. LAUGHTER <laughs> uh, so that's so. So there, there are other tools. There are also, you know, there are a number of other tools. That you, like if you read um, Tara Brock's book or the Byron Brown book, you'll see a, there are a lot of. T- I'm just mentioning a few very uh, basic techniques here. It's a wonderful way. Yeah. It's a very visual. Yeah. It's a real way. Right, and it's it's really to um, 
Uh, it's really to see what happens, and it's um, I'm sort of telescoping what you know a few thousand times that I did this practice. Right? Where did you come out? Did you come out with a compassion? Yeah, I. For me personally, in, in doing those practices, I, I think this is really the center of or one of the centers of this whole practice generally, which is that when we can be um, open and receptive and be with pain, it, it tends, not immediately, but it tends to open up the compassionate heart. And that's certainly what happened with me. That, I mean, you, it was like in the poem. The poem is partly the, my response to your question. Uh, but that there was definitely compassion. That, As I said, I was able, I found myself not just able to be compassionate towards my own judgments, but more towards others, because it was really to hold the, um, the quality of pain in a, uh, in a general way, and it, 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 woke, it woke the heart, my heart up some. And I think that's what we find in our practice, that when we actually can be with what's painful in this protected way, I mean, of course, we're scared to go into the pain, right? right. Generally, I mean, we're scared to go. We think if I go into the pain, it'll be overwhelming, or I'll never come out, or I'll be left on the sidewalk or something, right? What? You wear your heart on your sleeve if you come yeah. out with all that. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's a whole lot that we could say maybe in another talk about opening to, opening to pain, and that takes a lot of skill. And, but, but I think the, the premise here is that our, essentially our hearts and our wisdom are, are bigger than the pain, and they can hold, and, and that, that's the premise, and I think we are invited to see if that's true. That's and, a good point. Yeah. Please, yeah. And did everyone hear that the quality of the witness? It's really, um, in some ways, when we start the mindfulness practice and when we start noting, we're really bringing that quality of witness uh, more alive. That we that we de- we develop the ability just to see what's there, and we drop the commentary. Or if we start the commentary, we notice the commentary through the witness as well. And so that is a, uh, as it were, one of the competences that we develop more with mindfulness, which, like you say, is incredibly valuable. And I think is a, it pro- I think it's a prerequisite for doing that dropping down practice. So I want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to set up something where everyone says, well, I, I'm going to just go right into the pain immediately. And right there, it's this. This does. This is a. In all of these practices, there there are good ways to begin. That you know, acknowledge where we are. Yeah. Please. Thank you. Let me, let me, let me respond. Um, th- thank you for the comments. Um, maybe I'll take them in reverse order. Um, three comments. The, the last one was, which I thought was a very helpful addition to what we were talking about, was that we, it's helpful to take the attitude of really relaxing about being judgmental. That and and you were saying that in some ways we don't give up judgments until we are sotapanna, which is one of the stages of um, awakening, uh, stream entry. And actually, I think it's um, my reading of the the levels is that we actually um, don't give up uh, being judgmental, um, pretty much till the end. <laughs> and and I I. For me, I, I may have told the story before, but I was very much um, enlightened and made happy one, one day. I was at a retreat, and 
people were talking about the stages of enlightenment. And there, there's a model in the text called the model of the, uh, I think it's uh, 12 fetters. Is it 12 or 10? I forget. I think it's 12. And these are the, uh, the last remaining vestiges of self-centeredness that one goes through in the stages of enlightenment. And one of the last ones is usually translated as conceit, some kind of profound self-centeredness, the energy out of which judgment comes. And it's actually like the next-to-last fetter that's removed, even with people with tremendously advanced spiritual practice. And when we were talking about this at the retreat, someone said, yeah, you could have a bunch of um, third-level enlightened beings sitting up there on a panel, each saying, I'm a better third-level enlightened (laughs) being than him. (laughs) And that would be normal. That's the thing. This would not be a reason to throw them off the stage. This would be normal. And that's, and to me, I just, like you said, I just relaxed when I heard that. Oh, okay. All these people who I really like, who are really wonderful in other ways, they're, they, they sometimes are judgmental. Fine. We can relax with it and just not think that being judgmental is a sign that we're uh, bad. Or even that we're not um, incredibly spiritually evolved. We can be incredibly spiritually evolved and have a strong judgmental streak. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> And let me let me just mention uh, if I can remember the other two points you made about the um, about the roots the roots of anger and judgment being being similar and having roots in um, hatred and I think what I'm suggesting is that the roots are only partly in hatred but that there also is some intelligence there and I think there's also an intelligence in anger and judgment and I think our work is to actually separate out the intelligence from this reactivity. That's what, I'm, that's what I certainly found, that there can be some intelligence that these states carry. That Think of, again, think of that example of the rude, observing the rude person. I wouldn't want to not notice that that person is rude. I might be less skillful. So it's that quality of how do we preserve what is sometimes called discriminating wisdom without, the, um, without that reactivity. Well, I think, I think we do it by doing the judgment practice. But just to give an example of what that looks like, I mean, I, as, a, as a teacher, I have to deal with that all the time. Right? I have to be able to see clearly what's there in a person, you know, in, in the different kinds of teaching I do. You know, like if I'm, or I've also been an editor of a journal, I have to, it's very valuable for me to notice, like if there are major problems, let's say, with, you know, in the case of writing with clarity or organization or whatever, or in the case where it's very helpful to notice, oh, this person is very judgmental. You know, that's a kind of discriminating wisdom. Now, if I, as some teachers do, would take the seeing of that as the cause, as it were, for dumping on the student or for having some internal judgment, this person is, you know, what am I doing with this person? Or these people are so, you know blah, blah, blah. That would be a judgment, but, you know, so the work for a teacher would also be to do the same work, would be able to preserve the seeing of what's there and separate it from that, what I call the emotional sledgehammer. And without that, you know, without that, uh, I think we give away some of the wisdom dimension. Does that help some? Well, the, the question is, um, if I'm noticing something, 
how do I uh, give compassionate feedback? You know, and um, there's actually there's actually a sutta where the Buddha says exact gives like five or six guidelines on that, which I could maybe maybe bring in next. I'll bring in next time. Uh, and he gives certain guidelines. But if we, we if we kind of look at that, what would what would help my what would help me to know that I was given compassionate feedback rather than being judgmental? That's really the question. And so it would be partly to know from an inner point of view, am I reactive? Is there a charge? You know, am I finding thoughts in which I blame person? Is there an emotional edge there? And if there is, then you'd want to be careful. So the first thing would be to see what's there in yourself. Really, it's to really see what are my... Where am I coming from? What are my intentions? What are my motivations? You know, am I sincerely wanting to help? And we could be sincerely wanting to help and actually not be seeing some aspects of judgment. So it's a learning process, and it's okay to make mistakes, as it were. So we could actually think that we're coming with our best intentions and discover later that we were being judgmental to some extent. So I would say look at, it's basically to look at, look at your mind, uh, see your motivation, and experiment. And then ask for feedback from the other people as well. That's the starting point. <laughs> Thank you. Maybe, uh, maybe two last questions if you can make them brief because we're at the end of our time. Please. Three last questions. Three, three last very brief questions. Okay, and I'll try to give brief answers. The five, five steps. The five were... First, uh, an inventory of where one's judgmental, mindfulness practice, the metta practice, and this, your, po- your point was that somewhat that sometimes the metta practice can get very concentrated and is not so helpful there. But a lot of our metta practice uh, may not be so concentrated, and that's where we have the purification happening in the mindfulness. So the metta practice third. And the fourth was this kind of inquiry practice or the dropping down practice. And the fifth was to help develop a less judgmental culture. Okay, please. That, that's, that's great. We'll, we'll have to leave sometime next week for reports from the field. <laughs> uh, and last brief question. It's a great question. Um, let me give a, a, really a brief response because I think what your question really shows is that, um, like, like I think I was suggesting at the beginning, the defenses could be there for good reasons, mm-hmm. right? And that even now, as adults, um, we have to be able to um, work with the energy of judgments coming towards us. And we have to work with uh, all the difficult energies. And so I think that um, it would really be a, uh, you know, maybe a way to further this topic would be to talk about, okay, how in the midst of practice do we work with the difficult energy of judgments and how, how do we not, not just um, train children, but how do we train ourselves? And I, I think we'd probably get towards, I mean, what comes to mind are, are some of the martial arts where one, like in Aikido, one would learn, as I understand Aikido, one would learn to be with that difficult energy but not be, not be with it in a polarizing way. And probably we could tell stories here about ways of being very skillful 
and non-judgmental with judgmental energy coming towards us, which I think would has a lot to learn from the martial arts. And maybe that's something we can continue next time because we're going to talk about speech next time and it's very much uh, relevant there. So if, we, if you can remember that, and I'll, I'll remember that too. And thank you so much for the question. So, <laughs> a, um, not a small topic. Um, let's just take a minute to uh, sit quietly and close. So being present with this very uh, rich and, and often powerful exploration. And inviting to be present what was most helpful, perhaps in the sitting or in the talk or discussion. And let be present also any intentions for practicing in the area of judgments in the next week. What, where do I feel drawn to, to focus if I do? What should I do to um, have this practice be, be strong in the next week? So in closing, we dedicate the merit, the fruit of our time together to all beings, to all with whom we're in contact, and to all beings generally. May we share the fruits of our time together with all beings for the healing and the benefit and the awakening of all beings. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.